This is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast, and I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. I'm here with Dr. Kathy Melman. She's a clinical psychologist. She has a PhD. She's the clinical director of outpatient psychiatry, and she was in private practice seeing kids, teens, couples, and individuals for 20 years. And she's been at Seattle Children's for the last eight years helping parents um, support and treat their children who deal with all sorts of mental health challenges. Dr. Melman, thanks for joining me. Thank you. (laughs) We're here uh, to talk really, truly about six specific things you can do for your anxious child. So let's just zoom out for a second, Kathy, and say, how many kids are anxious, you think, in the United States? Like, what percent of kids at school are anxious? Yeah, what anxiety disorders are the most common mental health concern that kids have. And it's our number one referral at Seattle Children's. Yeah. And um, I feel like it's always present in general pediatric practice, too. Like, it's in so many different components of different health challenges. And practicing over the last 30 years, I think anxiety is more common. Um, studies now, show, you mean? I do. Yeah. I think it is more common now. Studies show that about 10% of children struggle with anxiety disorders, and it may even be more common than that. Yeah, because those are kids that get identified and diagnosed. And I think, I mean, I think a lot of parents wander around worrying that their kids are anxious. We might be wrong. We might be right, though. So I think if you're one of those parents out there and you have a child who's been diagnosed or you suspect has anxiety, this podcast is really just to give you some tips and tools for soothing that discomfort and that challenge. So this isn't even how you diagnose a kid or what that means, per se. We know it's really common, right? One in 10, right, is a lot of kids who are having anxiety. And I think the other thing that um, Dr. Melman and I have been talking about is, you know, anxiety is also a normal part of life. So if this is labeled anxiety or your kid is anxious or not anxious, your child and you in life will get anxious. <laughs> so I'm hoping these six tips that Dr. Melman has helped create are really going to be helpful to everyone listening of what do you do to help a child and maybe even yourself in a time of anxiety. Okay. So number one's a little tough. I'm going to start. This is the toughest one. We're starting here. So number one, six ways to help your anxious kid. Number one, a reminder that modeling matters, meaning that if you as a parent are struggling with being anxious, it's likely that your kid is kind of picking up on it and copying you. Talk to me. Yes, it's so true. I mean, kids copy everything. Yeah. They, that's how kids learn. That's right. A huge social learning component. Kids watch and, and learn and repeat what they see. And if we are coping in ways that are anxious, worrying about things, stressing out about things, um, avoiding things. Yeah, like, I can't go there. It's too stressful, and those moms are so mean. Exactly. Right? If I say that, it's like, I'm not going to book club because they make me feel terrible. Then and all I of a sudden, can't cope with it. Yeah, and so I can't cope with it, so I'm, I'm out. going. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a model, right, that's just going to get copied. Absolutely. Right? My kid's going to say, I can't go to that because you just said you couldn't go to book club without even saying it to me. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So so what if we self-identify, if um, if you're out here on your walk listening to this podcast and you're like, shoot, I may be anxious. I'm modeling anxiety to my kids. Kathy, what do we do? There's so much that we can do. I mean, first of all, if you are modeling anxious behaviors, there's a lot you can learn to be able to make a difference in those in those patterns. The first step is just to be aware of it. 
Yeah. Just to be able to notice that pattern of coping, those behaviors, those things you're saying and doing that really let your child know, oh, no, that, you know, if you don't get in this class, then terrible things will happen. And then you won't be able to go to the college you want to go to. And then your life might be a failure. And the ways that we communicate that kind yeah. of um, the kind of amping up amping of like up, uh-huh. that everything is so um, critical in those ways that we're really communicating a lot to our kids and yeah. they begin to worry. Yeah, it's so funny. It made me think of oral health just then. I was thinking about how when, for example, like like young infants and babies get bacteria from their parents. Like if you don't get if you don't go to the dentist yourself and your mouth is full of kind of aggressive bacteria, literally, that make your cavities, and then you kiss your baby, you pass on these aggressive bacteria to your babies. And it's like with anxiety, it's the same stinking thing. It's like if you're really anxious, you're passing on some of that anxiety in some ways. Not just through your genes, but through the models and the copycat type stuff. So, you know, one of the things you recommend is, and this is harsh, hello world, but if you think you might be anxious, you know, Dr. Melman's saying get evidence-based CBT therapy, so cognitive behavioral therapy. Yikes. What, tell us what that is. Cognitive behavior therapy is, there's a lot of research that's been done that shows that it is, in fact, very effective Um, for many conditions, particularly for anxiety disorders. So it's very focused, short-term therapy that, um, that involves learning to notice, be aware of your own patterns, your own thoughts, your own feelings in response to different situations, noticing what triggers Mm -hmm. your anxiety for you, noticing where in your body you feel anxious, what those physical changes are, being able to notice what you're thinking in those situations, the ways in which you might be expecting bad things to happen, Mm -hmm. might be catastrophizing, racing ahead into the future, generating negative thoughts, Mm -hmm. um, thinking that... um, that you can't handle this, sort mm-hmm. of the perfect um, setup for anxiety is overestimating the likelihood of something bad happen happening mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. underestimating your ability to cope. Mm-hmm. And so with those worry brain thoughts, you then um, end up feeling more and more anxious. Mm-hmm. And in cognitive behavior therapy, we work with your thoughts, learning how to think more realistically, learning how to be able to check the facts about your thinking. Is this really likely to happen? Are there some alternative explanations that Mm -hmm. might make more sense? What would be kind of another way I could think about this? And so the therapy itself, so even just in this point number one, right, that modeling matters and that if you're anxious, treating your own anxiety in some ways protects your child from copycat behavior and having the same experience. So if you don't like the way your body feels or how your heart raises or how you sweat or how you shy away from something or how you feel terrible at the end of the night when you've been on Facebook because of something that kind of amps you up and you take it out on yourself in another way, you know, um, that dealing with that through cognitive behavior behavioral therapy where someone guides you to overcome and reshape that and be a better detective in in some of your words, that that's going to be really important for your child. Absolutely. It's important because then you'll be calmer. Yeah. And so you're not amping your child up as much. Yeah. That your child will be copying those ways of coping that you've learned. And in cognitive behavior therapy, you learn not only to notice these things and change your thinking, but also to change your behavior. That's where the B, the C is for cognitive, the B is for behavior. Uh-huh. But you change your behavior. Yeah. And you change your mind, and then you change your behavior in response. Yes. I like that. B, yeah, B, C. Nice. Okay. Point. So number one. 
we got to take care of ourselves. The obvious thing that we always hear, right? Take care of yourselves to take care of your kids. It's like the oxygen on the airplane, right? Like put your mask on first and then put it on your child. Exactly. Number two, um, intervene early and effectively. So let's talk about that, that I think sometimes we kind of think, oh, maybe our kid isn't that anxious. Oh, it'll just go away. It'll go away. Like they'll be fine. Summer will come. School will end. Tell me why intervening early with a child who's anxious or shows signs of anxiety is so important. Kids who have more anxiety are likely to have more anxiety throughout their lives. And if you get them help sooner, then they're not going to avoid things and they're not going to miss out on opportunities to make friends, um, to give talks at school, to join sports teams, to have slumber parties, to go away to sleep, sleep over camp. Exactly. And so you're helping your child not miss out on all these important um, experiences in growing up. And then they have the skills for the rest of their lives. So that early is kind of just like the long tail, that don't wait. There's no reason because cognitive behavioral therapy might only last even a couple weeks. You might see someone three or four times and your child will have a totally new skill set. And I think the other thing that you've pointed out, Dr. Melman, is that anxious children often don't get the help they need when they do. And they suffer for years and years and they kind of think, well, I never dealt with it this way before. Why would I have to do it now? Right. That showing intervention early is both therapeutic and you get the long tail of benefit, but it also redefines like you can have a happier life. You can have a less anxious life. And let me prove that to you by showing you to have these skills. Exactly. So that point number two is if you're thinking about it or worried about it, make a phone call now to go talk with your pediatrician or family doc or a therapist that you know or a psychologist because there's it's just not going to harm. It's going to help if you're with someone who knows how to talk and care for parents and children together. And then children come out of that experience feeling braver and stronger rather than feeling there's something wrong, wrong. with me. Yes. I, thank you for saying that. I love that. Number three, so acceptance and empathy. So some of us just have to accept, right? It's like, you know, some kids pop out great sleepers, some pop out like not so good sleepers, and we all know which one we got, right? Like, so that's very obvious to parents. I mean, I think the same is a little bit true, right? So you talk about that some kids are just kind of wired together differently as worriers or anxious kids. Um, what can we do? What can we do specifically to make sure that we're kind of validating them, but also helping them? I hear so many stories from kids, um, particularly who didn't get the help that they needed and Mm. have waited Mm. as teenagers looking back on their untreated anxiety Mm. and describing situations where parents said, what's the matter with you? Yeah. Just get over it. All the other kids are going into the building. Why can't you? Yeah. That parents who aren't really understanding how terrifying these situations are for their kids are really um, not being empathic with their child yeah. and it's it's painful and the child then isn't likely to share what they're struggling with and then doesn't believe that there's help available or that anyone will understand and starts to view themselves negatively as well. So if we can instead accept this child I got mm-hmm. is wired together with more anxiety. It might be because I am too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. It's perfectly okay. If we know things about ourselves, then we can work with that. Yep. So so what I hear in that, right, is that um, 
you know, it's so hard to be our ideal selves. Like, I just like, I remember one time being really critical of my son's like worry and anxiety. And then I was like, Wendy Sue, like, you just like, you know, oh my gosh. And it's, but it's hard when maybe you're anxious or fretting or need to get something done. And you're like, give me a freaking break. Get your shoes on and get out the door. There is no reason for you to be scared. You've done this 15 times. Because mm-hmm. it's so easy to feel that way and to feel short. It's natural and normal. And maybe it doesn't even come out of anxiety or stress. Mm-hmm. It's almost just like, I don't even believe you. And I think what we're, what you're saying is, I remember when I, when I wrote a blog post and learned a little bit about temper tantrums, that temper tantrums in some ways for kids are these, like someone described it as the anger trap. Like kids are actually suffering and angry and lonely in these temper tantrums. So when we get irritated and annoyed, right, it's like, it's so mean. When what we really want to be is like our ideal self, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is like, oh, honey, I know this doesn't feel good to you, but the great thing is you know how to get through this. Let me help you. I'm going to get your shoes, which takes, of course, no extra time. But we want to be our ideal self. So you're reminding us, like, we need to just accept that some of our kids are going to be harder to parent. Newsflash. And I think I remember telling a good friend of mine um, when she was parenting her, her son who had challenges with attention and anxiety. And I said, it's harder to parent Sam than it is to parent these the other kids. It's true out there. If you feel like one of your kids is harder to parent or you think it's harder for you to parent your kid than the other one, you're right. That's just true sometimes, right? So if we accept it and we show empathy towards it, we probably all win. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, well, I just, yeah. Okay, number four, because I've done a bad job of that. Number four, don't permit avoidance. So you speak so elegantly on this. And so please just explain why we don't want to facilitate and breed anger. So that out there, if you've got an anxious child and you're thinking about school start or a next camp or a play date or going over to a friend's family where the kid's kind of mean to your kid, what what do we do so that we don't feed anxiety? So while we want to be empathic and understand, oh, you're scared about this. The first day of school, not only that, but now you're entering middle school. Mm. That's a time of such change or entering kindergarten for the first time or high school um, that it's understandable to have these worries. And if you're present and calm with your child, they're going to be able to share more with you about it. They might start to tell you what they're thinking, and then you can help them be able to explore those thoughts. Um, And, of course, anyone thinking that that is such a dangerous, scary place and you're going to be bullied and you won't remember any of your math and you're not even sure you remember how to read. That If, no, you're, if you're anxious about school, too, they're going to feel it, right? Yeah, and yeah. so if, you're, if your child is thinking in those anxious ways, yeah. then you can really say it's understandable. The thinking in that way, yep. you'd feel the way you do. And so what we want to help you do is not only shift your thinking, but also to help you do things to get comfortable with approaching school rather than avoiding. So it might be that we'll go and hang out at the playground. It might be that mm-hmm. you'll Before find out some of yeah. the kids who will be in your class and you'll get together with them. What are some of the things we can do to help you approach rather than avoid? avoid? And avoidance when you're in a situation, imagine being in a slumber party, a sleepover, and maybe it's your first sleepover, and you're starting to get nervous and scared that you're not going to be able to fall asleep, you'll be the only one who's up, that you hear um, the wind blowing, and you wonder whether there'll be a storm, your worry brain's in, in, in full operation there. And what you want is to escape and avoid. And so you call, and your parents come and pick you up. Yeah. The minute that you call, you feel this intense relief. And so that you what, and, and you learn that you weren't capable of doing it. You learn right? you weren't capable yeah. of doing it. It's you're more likely to want to escape and avoid again because that was the way you felt better. Yeah. 
you felt so that much relief, better. That relief. That total relief. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, you learn that maybe it really is a scary place if mom and dad or that are willing I can't to come pick me up. If mom and dad are willing yeah. in the middle of the night to come get me. So, so yeah, and, and so I think the beauty in this, right, is that um, life is bumpy. And, and there are lightning strikes in life, too. There just will be. You can't live kind of an, un, an unscarred life. Like, we are going to have gouges in our skin, right, and scars all over our bodies as we get through our lives. And our kids need to know that Band-Aids work sometimes, mm-hmm. right, and real healing does over time. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to say is, in our ideal selves, <laughs> we're not going to avoid this party, but I'm here for you, and I'm going to prop you up. Like when you were talking about it, I was thinking I had this visual image of like, of of kind of what we do for trees, where we prop up those little sticks all around trees, and we say it's a little fledgling tree. Like it's a windy day, but we're not ripping you out of the ground and moving you. We're just putting little sticks around you so you that, support, exactly. right? And then you get through the windy storm, and the tree still grows, right? And next time you won't need as much propping. Yeah. Next time you'll be able to do it even more independently. Yeah. So tips three and four go so nicely together. We accept and we're as empathetic as we can be when our child really shows us anxiety. And then we don't permit avoidance. We really nurture and prop our kids and then reflect on it afterward of helping them get through situations. When you avoid, you don't have a chance to find out that nothing terrible happened after all and that you can, in fact, do yeah. it. One, th- one criticism that I feel like I've heard in clinic before is parents will get really deeply worried that the reason a child is avoiding school is because there's something dangerous happening they're not hearing about. Kathy, what's your recommendation if a family's got that gut instinct of, mm. my kid doesn't want to go to that sleepover because the dad is sexually abusing her, or my kid doesn't want to do this. I often think it's it's the very, really real penetrating fear that a family has that the child doesn't feel safe telling them about a threat, mm. and they don't know what to do, so then they they permit avoidance. What's, mm-hmm. what's, is there a key takeaway that you can think of that would help if the if a parent's driving around right now thinking, I'm still not letting her go to that sleepover because mm-hmm. I think that guy's a creep or whatever right, it is. What right. how do we do how do we do that? I think we do want to pay attention to, to that instinct. To that instinct. Yeah. If, if a situation doesn't feel safe yep. and we have real concerns about yep. it, we don't wanna have our child be in that situation and at the same time we can check the facts about it. So maybe Ourselves. we would we can yeah. and maybe we can go and spend some time with that family. Maybe we can have a dinner where everybody's together. Maybe you observe a little bit more about uh-huh. um, the situation so that you learn more to be able to better assess. And you just model for your child. You're available. Uh-huh. And you're and you're going to be a good detective. I love that. Because I think there are outliers to these things. And I just was, I, it just kind of came into my mind of thinking someone might be like, ah, I can't avoid, I have to avoid something. So thank you for that. Number five. So this is, I think, really important that we've been talking about. Um, exposure is a really important ingredient in treating anxiety. So, you know, Dr. Melman advises reward brave behavior. So let's talk about that. So how and why is exposure the most significant ingredient in treatment for anxiety? And and how do we do a good reward system? Exposure is critical because you can do all kinds of talking about how a situation isn't, in fact, so dangerous. Yep. You can change your thinking about it. You can learn to calm your body. You can do so many different things. Yeah. And if you just keep talking about it and don't do it, yep. you don't really get to experience that in fact nothing bad does happen and that you can handle it again, that message. And we do exposures not by throwing our child into the deep end of the pool, but by Oh, I wanted to. Back to the swimming lesson example. I wanted to hurl that kid into the deep end. There isn't even a deep end in that pool, but yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah, I had a child also who was really afraid of the water. And yeah. was that parent on the sidelines, like the swimming pool, wondering, what do I do now? Yeah, right. right. Yeah, and I was having a temper tantrum inside, too. But anyway, yeah. Right. And so one of the things that, that I did is that I I uh, made sure that there was a one-on-one instructor uh-huh. that the, my son knew that uh-huh. he was going in the pool no matter what. Uh-huh. Because it was really no important for everyone to learn to swim. Yep. That even if he didn't change into his swimsuit. Yeah. Even if he put his swimsuit on over his clothes to be compliant <laughs> yeah. and yet yep. not hopefully swim, yeah. <laughs> that I was still going to hand him. To the instructor. To the instructor. And yep. that I knew she was a safe instructor. That was one-on-one, that she would stay in the shallow end at first. Yeah. That she'd help him get really comfortable in the water, that they'd have fun. Yeah. And that gradually, in a step-by-step way, he would be able to do more and more and get increasingly more comfortable and more skilled at being able to swim. Yeah. But even that, putting the, the swimsuit on over the clothes, yeah. <laughs> didn't keep him from getting So, yeah, and that's exposure, right? So you're saying exposure. each time you're exposing, you're exposing. So, you know, one of the tips and strategies I know between therapy sessions can sometimes be, okay, we're going to expose you to, you know, practicing asking a stranger in the grocery store where the oranges are, right? And then we need to make our kids... Go like you were talking about the clown, right? We need to make our kids go ask about the orange, right? And and practice that over time, they do it, and then we reward that by saying, "Great, you get to pick out a pack of gum because you did ask the guy three times about where to find the oranges." And we know that was really hard for you, and so yep. you, let's let's really um, let's let's give you some reward for that because that was awesome. Yeah, I'd love that. Okay, and number six. So number five was rewarding this brave behavior that the exposure and the practice of dealing through anxiety, you know, dealing with your emotions and your body and your mind, and then changing your behavior to keep going is a really big deal and part of kind of recovering and learning how to cope with anxiety throughout your life. Absolutely. And I recommend it's done in this step-by-step way rather than in a full, intense having your child face their like hardest the deep end fear. thing. Yeah, exactly. putting your putting your feet in or putting your swimsuit on over your pants, <laughs> then putting your toes in, then gradually exactly. get, building trust over exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah, great. So lastly, number six, um, and ways to help your anxious child if you've got one or yourself. Um, you know, it's really important that children are involved in a child's therapies, specifically that CBT therapy, the cognitive, so how we think, the behavioral, how we change what we do, therapy. Um, And that's your number, um, you know, that's your number six, Dr. Melman. So explain why it's so important that you don't just drop your kid off at um, psychotherapy um, and say, okay, go fix my kid and make this better for me. I'm going to go do yoga. You know, why does a parent need to be there? Yeah. So we are with your kids at most once a week. Yeah. You're with your kids so many more hours of the day, right? Yes. 24-7 is your job. And these challenging situations and bumps that come up, they come up when your kids are with you, not when we're in my office. Right. And so I want you to have all of the skills. I want parents to have all of the skills to know how to coach their child through those challenging moments. I also want to support parents because it is challenging to raise some kids, yeah. particularly anxious kids. Yeah. And so to provide that support and help parents know what they can do that will make a difference for their children. 
So and how to do exposures throughout between the sessions, right? Absolutely. There's homework assignments. You're practicing whatever step you're working on. You're doing that over and over and over again with your kids until it becomes more comfortable for them. Yeah. It's just another thing on our list of duties, it turns out. It's good. It's just, And I think we probably get our own self-coping skills by being exposed to CBT as adults as well. So six ways to help your anxious child. Number one. Making sure you remember that your modeling matters, that if you feel anxious and you're displaying anxious behavior, truly checking in and maybe getting yourself a couple of sessions of CBT would really help not only you enjoy your life and be less anxious, but really set your child up for less anxiety in their lives, too, since they are copycats. Number two, intervene early and then intervene effectively. It's CBT, that cognitive behavioral therapy that's most effective, in addition to teaching kids how to do deep breathing when they feel like they're breathing quickly, how to kind of calm their heart rate down when they're overwhelmed, how to take a break and then move through that anxiety and succeed. So the earlier you do this, the longer your child benefits from it and the less suffering they have in their life. Kids who are anxious might seem like they're overreacting, but it's really important that we listen to them and accept that they maybe are just wired differently. So number three is acceptance and then being our ideal empathetic selves and saying, I see that this makes you really anxious. I'm here to prop you up and support you. Number four, once we acknowledge and are kind to our kids about their anxiety, that we don't allow them to skip out on life, that we are going to teach them that entering the atmosphere sometimes is we are going to feel like we're burning up, but we can get through it and land with a parachute on the planet. And that we have to kind of continue to nurture belief and resiliency in our kids by having them get through hard situations because their whole life will be full of them. We next, number five, need to reward brave behavior that these exposures is over and again and over and again. Exposure to hard things is the most important and effective way to get our children from being an anxious kid to not such anxious kid. And so we have to reward that brave behavior and we have to really create opportunities for courage. And then lastly, it's another thing we have to put on our to-do list, that we as parents have to be involved in the cognitive behavioral therapy and the kind of homework to help kids get this exposure, get this reward, and really earnestly believe that bad, hard days are part of life, and we can really take control of it and get through it. What I miss? You did a great job. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Well, I'm so thankful for your help, and I really do hope we help parents out there um, with their anxious kids. Wendy, there is one thing I just yeah, thought yeah, yeah, of, yeah. which Give is it. that um, um, cognitive behavior therapy, while brief and focused, typically yeah. does take more than just a couple of sessions. Yeah. And so be prepared to spend more than that. It may be, it may be eight sessions. It might be. Um, three months, it's not going to be years yep. unless there's a really severe difficulty that has um, some complications and other issues going on. Um, but be prepared for more than just a, a couple. Yeah. No, thanks for that reminder. I think it's a good reminder, too, that, you know, one of the things we said, number two, was, right, getting it intervening early. So if you're listening to this, you think you might be anxious or your child might be anxious, now's the time to call. But you want effective therapy. So if you're thinking about talking with a pediatrician or a family doctor or a nurse practitioner and you're saying, I want a recommendation, ask for a recommendation to a therapist or a psychologist who understands and knows how to do, you know, CBT therapy with children. And their parents. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you. Thank you. The reality is parenting is a really high stakes job. And even if you're anxious, the good news is you've got this. 
Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc Podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at seattlemamadoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 